Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us, please, to understand your word. And as we reflect on all these wonderful examples of faith through the ages, that you'll please strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I became a Christian when I was uh, 21 years old. And uh, at the time in my life, I knew pretty much um, no Christians. No one in my family was Christian. Not my parents, not my grandparents, not my brother or sister or aunties or uncles or cousins, not even one. I was studying at the university at the time, studying law at university, and apart from my now wife, Carmelina, I don't think I knew anyone at uni who believed in Jesus. If I did, they certainly never talked to me about it. I also had a job at the time. I was working as a cocktail barman in a nightclub. And again, I'm not aware that there were any Christians at my workplace. My hobby at the time was karate. And again, if there were any Christians in the karate club, I didn't know anything about it. They never said anything to me. I was pretty much uh, on my own in becoming a Christian. Uh, in my life, in general, I never heard the name of Jesus except, except as a swear word. But, but it's not just that no one around me was Christian. I, I was actually surrounded by um, confident atheists people who were convinced about their atheism. Uh, to my family, to my mum and dad, it is blatantly obvious that there is no God. My, my parents were and still are amazed that I could be so gullible as to fall for religion. Same for most of my fellow law students at the time, same for the, the people in the nightclub, same for the, the karate club. The, the issue of God, it, it wasn't even up for debate. In their minds, no intelligent person would seriously consider the possibility that there is a God. I have to say that made it harder. It made it harder to have everyone think I was an idiot. It made it harder to become a Christian. And, and even today, I would say it makes it harder to be a Christian. It makes me doubt myself. I mean, do I seriously believe that I am right and Everyone I know, all my family, all, everyone I studied with, everyone I was working with, everyone I was doing karate with, do, do I seriously believe that I'm right and every single one of them is wrong? Well, that just seems incredibly arrogant, doesn't it? We're not talking about stupid people here, we're talking about clever, intelligent, highly educated people. The atheists I know, they're so confident. It's just obvious to them that atheism is right. That they genuinely believe you'd have to be an idiot to disagree with them. That made me feel alone. Made me feel isolated, like there was no one who agreed with me. Have you ever felt a bit like that? Have you ever felt like you're on your own against the crowd? I remember when I was working, I used to walk up... Martin Place. And uh, for some reason, at the time that I walked up Martin Place, there were thousands of people walking down Martin Place. And uh, just a few of us walking up while thousands and thousands of people walked down. I remember I was just a Christian of a couple of years and I was thinking, this is what it's like being a Christian. Just a couple of us going one way and waves and waves of people going the other way. Maybe that's what it's like for you at school or, or, or at uni or maybe at work or maybe, maybe that's what it's like in your family. You're the only Christian. You're the odd one out. To everyone else, 
you're obviously wrong about Jesus and there's something a bit feeble about you, a bit, you're a bit gullible or maybe you've got, they, they think you've got some weakness or neediness that makes you believe your fairy tale religion. Do you know what, it, it would have been a little bit similar for the first readers of this letter to the Hebrews. I mean, they weren't atheists who became Christians. They, they were Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus. But in a similar way, everyone they knew would have thought they were crazy. As we saw last week, these readers were exposed to public insult and persecution. It was perfectly clear to their friends and to their family that they had gone astray, that they'd been misled by this Jesus movement. It was perfectly obvious to the authorities that they were doing the wrong thing. They'd been caught up in something illegal or immoral or something like that, the, the, the readers of Hebrews, they would have felt alone. They would have felt isolated on their own and they were being sorely tempted to, well, to go along with the crowd, to go along with everyone they knew, to, to go back to Judaism. Now, a couple of weeks ago, with the author, we, we saw the author tell them to keep on meeting together. To, to encourage each other, to, to spur each other on, to keep on living for Jesus. Why did he say that? Well, so that they didn't feel so isolated in their faith, so that they, that, so they could have each other's support and encouragement. But, but now in today's passage, the author encourages them in a slightly different way, and I think it's a very interesting and quite unique way. Well, let's have a think about the passage. The author starts off uh, by talking about the nature of faith. Uh, faith is a very ordinary thing. It's a very everyday thing. Faith is a belief or trust in something that you don't yet have. Now, usually it's based on a promise. As I say, it's a very ordinary thing. You and I exercise faith every day of the week. So let, let, me, let me give you an example. Imagine I, I wake up one morning and my wife turns to me and she goes, Jeff, you're such an excellent, wonderful husband. I'm going to cook you a nice steak for dinner. Uh, on that basis, I skip breakfast. No Whitbix for Jeff that morning. And, and then I, I only eat vegetables for lunch. Why would I starve myself the whole day? Why would I go through the extraordinary agony of two small meals in a day? Why? Answer? Well, because I believe her promise. I'm confident that the dinner I hope for will happen. I, I'm sure that even though I can't see that dinner yet, it will be waiting for me when I get home. And so I act on the promise. See, it's a very ordinary thing, faith. As Christians, we have promises from God. I mean, we saw them beautifully outlined in chapter 8, didn't we, as we saw the promises of the new covenant. What does God say? I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He says, I'll write my laws on their hearts so that they, they want to obey me, so that they know me. So he, he promises to, to transform us so that we can, we can be people who live in his presence forever, in a new creation, a new heaven and earth. God has wonderful promises for us. That those are his promises to everyone who trusts in Jesus. And faith takes God at his word. Faith believes the promises. Faith means that you're confident that, that even though we can't yet see it, God promised it, and so it'll be ours. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the author gives a quick example of faith, uh, one that would make sense to his readers. He says, you can't see that God made the world, but God says that he did. And the original readers of this letter, being Jewish, they would have all believed it was true. That They couldn't see it, but they believed it. There's an example of faith. He says, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And now what the author does, he starts to give us some some stories, some examples of people who have faith. He takes us through the Old Testament, through the, the, the ancestry, the history of these, these Jewish Christians, and he gives example after example of people who, who had faith, who acted on their faith. So we start off almost as far back in history as we can go to Adam's son, Abel. Abel couldn't see God, but in faith he offered God a sacrifice. We move a few generations through to Enoch. Enoch couldn't see God, but he lived his life to please God. And the author reminds us that's what it's like with God. You can't see God, and so you need faith. You need faith to to trust that he exists. You need faith to trust that he will reward you if you try to please him. Verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The author continues his list of examples of stories. He takes us to Noah. Noah trusted God's promise that a flood was coming. And so, much to the scorn of his contemporaries, he built the ark. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. The author moves on to Abraham. Abraham showed faith in a number of ways. He showed faith when he trusted God's promises and left his homeland, moved to the promised land. Uh, He also showed faith when he trusted, he and his wife showed faith when they trusted God's promise to give them a son in their old age. And then especially he showed faith because God promised Abraham that it's through Isaac, your son, that your offspring will be reckoned. And then God told him to sacrifice Isaac. How does that work? Abraham believed God, believed his promises, trusted that God could even raise the dead. Somehow he'll keep his promises, and so I'll just do as I'm told. Abraham and all these people, they couldn't see what God promised. In fact, they they didn't see God's promises fulfilled in their own lifetime. But like the readers of Hebrews, they trusted that God will keep his promises, even if it is in eternity. Verse 8. Let's look at Abraham. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would embrace the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The author continues his list, moving through the generations, moving through the story of the Old Testament, through Abraham's son and his grandson and his great-grandson. They all did things by faith. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. We jump forward in time now to the time of Moses, the time when God rescued Israel out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land. And again, it's full of stories of people of faith, people who did brave things, people who are even willing to, to suffer, to give up the stuff of this world because they trusted the promises of God. Verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And now the author starts to really pick up the pace. He takes us through the time of the judges, the time of the kings, the time of the prophets. There's so many people of faith in the history of Israel, people who were willing to suffer because they believed God's promises, people who, like these readers of Hebrews, who had to give up stuff in this world in order to keep trusting in God, but they did it time after time after time, person after person after person, more people than the author could even talk about. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? I didn't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Who was that? That was Daniel, wasn't it? Quenched the fury of the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. Elijah and Elisha, raised to life again. Uh, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. That's um, 
apparently the prophet Isaiah. Uh, they, were, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They, they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. So many people of faith. So many people who've walked the path of faith before us. But you know what? They, like the readers of Hebrews and like us, they all find the fulfilment of God's promises in Jesus. It's in Jesus that the promises for all of them are fulfilled. It's in Jesus that they will be perfected. God will forgive their sins and remember their wickedness no more. It's in Jesus that they will be transformed and, and made fit to be in God's heavenly city. It's in Jesus that they and we will finally receive God's promise of a place in the new creation. Verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. It's a long list. It's a magnificent history full of people of faith, people who believed God's promises, people who did brave things, amazing things, people who, people who bear witness to the faithfulness of God. And so the author makes his application. He says, think about these people. Think about this great cloud of witnesses. I don't think they're witnessing us. I don't think you think of you know, Bankwest Stadium this afternoon or something like that. They're not looking on us. I think they're, 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 they're people who've gone before us who witness to the faithfulness of God. He says, think about these people and let them inspire you. Let them inspire you to get rid of whatever it takes. Get rid of anything that will stop you from trusting Jesus. Let them inspire you to... to, to to, to turn away from the sin, particularly the sin that would give up on Jesus. Let, let them inspire you to stick with Jesus to the very end. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can you see what the author's doing in this chapter? He's trying to inspire us with these stories of people, people who have walked the path that, that we're trying to walk. I have to say, sorry, this is a little bit trivial, but it, it reminds me a bit of the weight loss industry. I mean, how does the weight loss industry advertise? I was a 400-pound whale, okay, until I took this special diet pill, and now I'm a... 22-kilogram, you know, waif. <laughs> Stories of fat people who became thin. That's, that's it's supposed to inspire you. That, that's the whole weight. The muscle-building industry is the same, isn't it? I was a 22-pound weakling, and people used to kick sand in my face. But then I started using the special thing image you go, and now I'm a big, muscly person who kicks sand in other people's faces. You know, <laughs> it, it, it seems to be part of how we're made. We're, we're inspired by others who have trod the path we're trying to tread. We're inspired by people who have gone before us. And now the author finishes this section by talking about the ultimate example of faith, Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus trusted God's promises. He trusted that there will be a new creation, a new creation where he will be there with you, his saved people. 
and he was so thrilled at the joy of being there in the new creation with you that he endured the cross because of his faith because he trusted God's promise Jesus was willing to suffer on his way to glory still in verse 1 let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God okay well can you see what's here then in this section of Hebrews it's just example after example after example of people of faith people who trusted God's promises all the way from Abel through to Jesus, these people were willing to live for God, willing even to suffer for God, all because they believed his promises. And so the author's calling on his readers, remember these people who've gone before and be inspired. Be inspired to get rid of any hindrances, to turn away from sin, to live your life for Jesus. All right. I think the application for us is pretty similar to the application for the original readers, isn't it? Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. I reckon this passage should be an encouragement to us because here's the point. It's a very simple one. We're not alone. We're not alone in believing the promises of God. We're not alone in even giving stuff up or suffering because we believe God's promises. It's not just that we have each other. As Christians, I mean, it's great that we have each other. Don't let me, don't don't hear me downplaying that we have each other in any way. We saw that back in chapter ten, didn't we? We need each other. We need to keep coming together, encourage each other, spur each other on to love and good deeds, spur each other on to hold fast to the hope that we have. But 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 we don't just have each other. Here's an extraordinary thought. We have a whole history. There are millions of people who have gone before us, millions of people who have run the race before us, people from the Old Testament, people from the New Testament, and now for you and me, another 2,000 years of history of people in this cloud of witnesses. 2,000 years of history of people who live their lives by faith, trusting in God's promises. I have to say, when I was first, when I was first a Christian, when I was first converted, uh, and sort of put onto this idea that there's this rich history of Christians, I was particularly inspired by smart people in history who had become Christians. Because, you know, every smart person I knew was an atheist. But I keep going, hey, look, you know, this person in history, he, he was a Christian, he was smart. And I keep saying it to my parents, that kind of thing. You know, atheism's actually, it's actually very modern and very culturally narrow. When you see the big picture of history, the vast majority of people in history, including smart people in history, have believed in God. Still, I'm encouraged by smart people in history who believed in God. But, but more and more, I've got to say, as I've been a Christian for a long time, it's, it's not actually the smart people that inspire me so much anymore. More and more, what inspires me is flawed people Flawed people like me who've made it to the end. And actually, as I look at this list in Hebrews chapter 11, I see an encouragingly flawed group of people. Now, take Abraham, a hero of faith. You know, the guy was such a wimp. He kept on 
pretending his wife wasn't his wife and giving it to other men. Noah, the great Noah, saved from the flood, the only one in the world saved. And what does he do to celebrate? Gets drunk and lies around naked. God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Moses, go and save my people. And Moses goes, no, could you get someone else to do it, please? Jacob is a con man. It's even what his name means. Joseph is a spoiled brat. Rahab is a prostitute. Gideon is a doubter. Samson is Samson's a total deal. These, these are not perfect people. Apart from Jesus, of course, they are thoroughly flawed people. And yet, you know what? By the grace of God, they ran the race to the end. I read that and it gives me hope. It does inspire me, much more than if they were heroic people, because then I couldn't relate to them. Most of these people, they were just as pathetic as I am. And yet, by God's grace, they held on to the very end. Friends, I reckon it is encouraging, don't you? We might be tempted by the crowd, whether it be family or friends or workmates. We might be tempted by the crowd to, to give up on Jesus. But the author of Hebrews, now he's encouraging us instead not to go with the crowd, but to go along with the cloud and stick with Jesus. You like that? That's pretty cute, isn't it? I reckon I should be in advertising or something like that. <laughs> Don't go with the crowd. Go with the cloud. <laughs> You know, I think, uh, I think one practical way of applying this, uh, one practical way of applying this is, and I'm going to mention an old technology, some of you may have heard of them, um, books, okay? Uh, one practical way to apply this passage is to read biographies. Uh, certainly, if, if you've read Hebrews chapter 11 and you go, who's Jephthah? Go back and read the story. Go back and read through the story of these people in the Old Testament. You'll be encouraged, particularly by how hopeless most of them are, and yet they made it to the end. But, you know, it's also good to read, and if you have to watch it on YouTube or something, watch it on YouTube, but to read or to watch Christian biographies uh, from church history, even modern biographies. I have to admit, I've gotten out of the habit of doing it. It's quite a while, I think, since I've read a Christian biography. And so reading Hebrews 11, I've repented. I've changed my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read two Christian biographies each year. And uh, because I'm in charge of the bookstore, a church weekend away, next weekend, I'm going to put some Christian biographies on there. Can I encourage you? Join with me in my resolution and uh, pick up some Christian biographies and read them. You'll be encouraged. Do you ever feel alone as a Christian? work or school or in your family do you feel like you, no one agrees with you you're going against the crowd you know it's actually not true you're not alone at all it's not just that there's a church full of people who also trust God's promises there's a whole history a whole legacy a whole heritage of people through the ages who've believed what you believe who have trod the path that you are treading as a Christian you really are part of a very rich inheritance a very rich heritage and so friends look around you at church be encouraged but remember tonight's passage don't just look around you look ahead to those who've gone before be encouraged don't go with the crowd go with the cloud let's keep running to the very end let's pray a gracious god and loving heavenly father we thank and praise you for your people right through history who have trusted you and lived for you and by by your grace have made it through to the end Father, we pray that you'd help us to run the race so that we too 
end up in that cloud of people who testify to your faithfulness. Lord, help us to keep on running to the very end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.